the JTAC podcast, episode 33. Send it. I can do that. JTACs. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Okay, welcome everybody to episode 33 of the JTAC podcast. Uh, reached out into deep into the community here and found a, an old uh, friend of ours, uh, Dunk. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time and sitting down to chat with me. Hey, no problem, mate. Thanks very much for, uh, for scraping the barrel and uh, <laughs> having me on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like, I like to start these things. I just want to say to everybody, you know, everyone's opinion on here is their own. It's not that of any organization. Um, Dunk, if you could just sort of uh, take us back to the beginning, build a sort of a picture of uh, who you are. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? What's your family look like back back home? Um. Yeah, all right. So, originally, mate, I'm from the, the highlands of Scotland. I'm from just north of uh, from Inverness. Um, so, we're men of men and sheep are scared. Um, and uh, I, I grew up there, mate. Um, went to, to high school, did, did the normal things. Um, and then I joined up when I was relatively young. Yeah, I I left school at fifteen because you could you could back in the nineties if you had um, something to do you know if you had like a, uh, either a, a job with, with training or an apprenticeship or whatever and I, I had my heart set on being a, a gamekeeper a deer stalker so I I left school at fifteen and um, went into that world for a little while uh, and it was it was sort of college but you lived and worked on a on an estate and that's how you you sort of learned the learned the ropes if you like did that till i was about 18 and then i just i wanted to i wanted an adventure if i'm totally honest i just wanted to join up i wanted a, a different side of life you know i was earning 30 pound a week and living in a caravan in the middle of a glen uh, in winter and it was just i was like anywhere but here <laughs> <laughs> so um have you got any uh any siblings at all yeah i've got a, a sister who lives still up uh, she's older than me um uh she's still up there and my mum's still up there but my my mum and dad are uh are estranged uh and they've got like a thousand mile exclusion zone between them which uh if my mum ever catches my dad that won't be that won't be far enough, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, you're you're up in uh, in Scotland, and uh, you're working um, up straight at fifteen, and that obviously that's probably a pretty hardy lifestyle anyway. Probably pre- prepped you pretty well from coming into the services. But is there anyone in your family that's in the forces, or anyone that served before? What was the spark that made you want to serve? Um, well, I, I I wanted to join up when I was. 16 uh I, I, listening to your podcast mate it's funny how many uh of, of the guys were similar i don't know if it's just something that people want to cut to the chase and just join up and and it was a similar thing you know my mum and dad weren't were not signing off on on that one which i understand but uh from military backgrounds it, it wasn't it wasn't like now where everyone seems to know you know, all about their relatives having been in the military and stuff. You know, I I had like cousins that I had a, a cousin of mine. He'd been in the first Gulf War. He was in the Queen's Own Highlanders, which has now long since been sort of amalgamated. And then uh, my dad had been in the RAF, but he'd been in, in the 60s when they had coastal command and they still had boats and stuff like that. And he was on that. Never really spoke much about it, but, you know, he, not that you would do, I suppose. It wasn't a, a sort of sexy kind of job, was it? And, uh, and then I find out years and years later after I joined up that my uh, my granddad had he'd served in World War Two, and he's, he, you know, he, he originally joined the RAF Regiment in 1942 when it had formed, and I, I didn't know. Uh, that's, that's but wild, but it's weird that I ended up... Yeah, it's, it, mate, it's mad how, how it kind of comes about. and. You know, he, he passed away when I was 11, so he was never going to speak to me, and I never really saw the guy too much, you know. Um, but for my kind of, I suppose, choice of, of branch and service, there was nothing really 
from a family side to to push me into either service or branch really yeah that's interesting so what what takes you you know uh, you know i know obviously you're saying you know the pay wasn't great and you're up in highlands but there's something you'd want to you'd obviously chosen to go out of school what brings you down to the recruiting office and and what's that story look like that makes you end up at the depot it was actually um my head keeper on the second estate i was on he kind of turned to me one day and all, oh, so I, I laugh about it now because we're still in contact, mate. And he, and he said, what are you doing? He goes, you, you're a young lad, uh, you know, no offense, but you don't want to be doing this for the next 30, 40, 50 years. You know, you want to go and have an adventure. And I was like, well, I, I, I often wanted to join up, you know, I, th- I thought about doing that. And he said, look, go do it. Just go and do it. Um, if it all goes wrong, if it all falls flat, you know, you can always come back to this, but go and do it. And I was like, do you know what? You're right. And I went to the recruiting office in Inverness. And it's quite funny, again, when you listen to the other sort of people speaking, how like their interaction in the careers office sort of shapes what they go into. And if I'm totally honest, mate, the most proactive person the the sort of the person that seemed most up for, for for having someone coming in and speaking to him was uh, was this RAF regiment sergeant in the recruiting office and all the branches were there you know you could speak to them all and this guy was like mate have you thought about this and I was like hey I've I've heard about it you know I was a I was an air cadet for a little while and I was like yeah we yeah I I have heard but I goes I don't know much about it and he, he took me in and do you know what mate he was he was a good guy he, he was I, I suppose he was the right guy to be in the careers office you know he was sat there smart he was obviously very fit very capable you know he had his parachute wings and stuff and I was like yeah I, I, I like that he showed me a video and I was like I'll take the test took the test scraped by and I was like yeah I, I, I'm in I'm in I'll, let's do it uh, and yeah that was it I was on a train to London. (laughs) Mate, I did not know where the hell I ended up, mate. I got off the train in London and I was like, what the hell is this? I'd never been out of the Highlands of Scotland. Um, Proper Eddie Murphy coming to America kind of scenario, you know. Um, I was just total hillbilly. I asked this lady where the train station was in London. So there's about like 50 million train stations. She looked at me like I was an idiot. Um, found my way to uh, to Barry St Edmunds to to Honington, and uh, we went for uh, for basic training, and 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 that was it. Yeah, I um, yeah roughly what, you, what, roughly what year is that? Because obviously, um, so that was that was May '98. So I don't think I think if I'm right, mate, I don't think they'd moved the depot too many years before. No, that's to, pretty good. To Honington from Catrick. Um, and, mate, do you know, the, the instructors we had were proper. Some of them are still in now, uh, so they're about 50 million years old. But <laughs> they uh, they were proper old school, mate. And I I liked it. You know, I, they give you a firm hand. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed basics, mate. I, I just, I liked it. I just, you had the sort of guiding hand of this is how you do things. You do it to the best of your ability, and we accept nothing less. And I'll, yeah, I like that attitude. You know, yeah, that, that's yeah. great. I, uh, obviously, Vinny was clearly just a little bit before you because he was at Catrick running around in plimsolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when Centurion was a rank, not a tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously, you go through basic training. Um, you come out of that. Where do you head off to then? What's how's it start to unfold for you? Um, well, I in, in basics, you know, you you get a section commander. My uh, our, our section commander, he'd, he we'd sort of been talking about various places to go, and, and I think most people want to go for the for the sexy high-profile squadrons. You know, I'm I'm going to two squadron. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then I put in for one squadron. Uh, I, I I really had my heart set on going to one squadron. Uh, so off I went down there as uh, LAC Slater, and uh, yeah, 
they'd just come back from uh, from Larbrook in Germany and moved to to Cornwall. So they were at St Morgan, uh, and we were LACs literally waiting. And I remember the convoy of trucks coming in, and that was the squadron arriving. So they were like, brilliant, just what we need, uh, some LACs to, to play with. Um, but again, mate, you know, a lot of the, I mean, my section commander, Danny, uh, he he was an awesome guy. And I think your first interaction on your first unit with your section commander shapes how, how you will be. Um, you know, he was mad keen on fitness, not just about being, you know, having a crack in BFT time, but just like, look, you need to be robust. You need to be fit. And, you know, being sort of not capable is not acceptable. You need to be good at what you do as an LAC and build it from there. And, and yeah, he, he was a great guiding light for, for me. You know, I, I still, you know, still think about that guy today. You know, he's a, he's a cracking, cracking bloke. And our head shed was good too, mate. You know, they were solid. Yeah, it yeah, must have been so pretty. Uh, it must have been pretty amazing as a, a lad from Scotland, and your first job is you're basically going to the south of France down there, um, <laughs> <laughs> and living that surfer lifestyle down in Cornwall. Wait, I, I was like, "What is going on here?" Because obviously it's a party town, so it's like stag do and hen do heaven, and I'm like, "What? What? What is this?" Uh, so like every weekend, I mean, like genuinely, th- this is before. Uh, the Gulf War, you know, 2003 kicked off and stuff. This is like 98, 99. And uh, there wasn't a lot going on. It was like Kuwait, Ali al Salem kind of kind of stuff, which was good. Um, and uh, sports afternoon, mate, would be like stripping the, the Land Rover Wolves down, putting some surfboards on and going down to Fishrow Beach and uh, trying not to drown. You know, it was awesome. <laughs> it was just like, what a time to be alive. It was brilliant. I loved it. It was just brilliant, mate. I loved it. Yeah. How do you, you mentioned there, obviously, the time. And I, I, I remember when I first joined up, like skiing in the winter yeah. and going away on doing AT in the summer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like the tempo just changed. Um, yeah. Where were you when the tempo changed? So I, do you know, mate, I, I often think about it now, I think, because I've, I've not got much to do in life and I kind of sit about. Um, I enjoyed from from the time we went to sort of Ali al-Salem where I suppose in its infancy it was the very start of of sort of test rolls and stuff like that you know out, out there but you're driving around in series three Land Rovers trying not to bog in um, I liked being away I liked being on ops so my view was that I wasn't going to stay in the RAF regiment for a very long time it was just uh, <clears throat> come in have an adventure and off we go but the more ops we did, the more I liked it. And I, you know, I was a typical young lad, you know, 19. I used to volunteer. You know, if guys couldn't go with their flight, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go. And I used to end up doing quite a lot of time away. <clears throat> and then I think with the, nation, the, the sort of natural progression of things, I, I was looking at, look, I've been here a couple of years now. I want to move on. And uh, I put in to do my pre-para with the intention of coming to, to two squadron, uh, you know, just for a change, you know. Uh, and I went to Honiton to do my, my pre-para. And on that course, uh, there, was, there was a young officer there and he was talking to me about this TAC-P stuff. And I was like, hey, what's TAC-P? What, you know, and, I, and it's funny how you were talking about Cider, talking about he'd done a tour in the Balkans. There was a guy... And he was one of these really senior SACs on one squadron, and he'd been talking about TACP stuff in, in Bosnia and stuff. And I was like, what the hell is he on about? Like, and I used to think he was sort of like fucking nonsense. Like, I was like, we can talk into aircraft. What are you on about? And uh, this guy was telling me about this TACP stuff in between sessions, getting thrashed. And I was like, it sounds wicked. And he goes, look, they're looking for volunteers now to go to 16 brigades. Are you interested? I was like, yeah, yeah, t- yeah, of course I am. And uh, he was friends, just as it is, isn't it? It's not what you know. He put in a word with Manning, and he said, "Look, if you pass, uh, you know, pre-para, you, you're going to go down there." And I, so, long story short, mate, passed pre-para, went 
arrived at 16 Brigade, uh, ready to do my jumps course and part of 616 TACP with, with Sam, who I know you know. Yep. Uh, Slap was down there. Uh, Smudge. Yep. I yep. don't know if you had much. Did you... Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. And, uh, and Wolfie, I don't know if you ever came across uh, Wolfie or any of these guys. But then, and it was, it was mixed as well, because you had seven RHA. We, we shared the barracks with seven RHA. And at that time, it was mixed with um, some guys from some seven RHA, some uh, sort of para signalers and, and that slot. And that was 2002. So literally, I got there learn how to, you know, fire a laser and set up a radio. And then all of a sudden, mate, we're, we're in the desert getting ready for, for the Gulf War. Uh, and we're like, okay. And it was, mate, it was exciting. And it was great. And I think being deployed to, a, you know, a, a brigade to do your job as, as, I mean, small cog, mate, driving a Land Rover, setting up a radio, you know, it's not going to set the world on fire. But as a small team, where suddenly, when the CEO wants aircraft, you know, for, for a deliberate operation, and you, you're getting ready to launch, you know, with the Marines and stuff, the, the US Marines across the border, it was exciting. You know, it was, you know, it's, it's full on. Yeah. Um, loved it. It was great, mate. Bill always tells me about how like important lasers became for them back then. Oh, mate, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I assume yeah, obviously you, time, yeah. you and obviously Bill were around at the same time, but separated. So, like, what was your experience like that first sort of like you said deliberate operations going forward? Obviously, one of your responsibilities is to obviously run that side of life, make sure the laser equipment's up up to speed, make sure the comms are going. Yeah, pretty high was, pressure stuff straight away for a young it guy. Was, mate. It was, uh, you know, I was, uh, what, 21, 22. And, you know, we, we went up to Lehman, mate, and uh, we did our course on the, on the lasers, uh, the laser. And, uh, it, yeah, like you said, Bill, so Bill was 615, I was 616. So he was off with, uh, I think, three. well, yeah, he was, he was off with three para. I was deployed to one para. And uh, then you had the other TACP that was with the Royal Irish. But then the way that the war sort of progressed and the way that things moved, it was kind of like, look, we need the TACPs over here. So it was a case of, you know, a Pinsgar and a Land Rover just driving around, you know, sort of guns, guns for hire, you know, without trying to make it sound too sort of much. You know, and it was kind of like, look, you need to get over to this grid reference. Someone's going to meet you. Uh, you're going into this town. Uh, they've got helicopters, and they've—I mean, there was a lot of National Guard units with A10s, and it's that's what you've got. And you know, so I actually learned a little bit, you know, to take the pressure off the boss and the sergeant, who were obviously the main the main guys. Uh, you know, so you'd do a, a back brief, you'd, you'd give the aircraft a little bit of a check in, you'd have the laser ready to go, and and off you go, and it was quite high pressure stuff. I mean, a lot of responsibility really, when you think that you're a young lad, it's your boss that's signing off on everything, not, not you. Um, yeah, but it was exciting. Yeah, I mean, it really was, uh, it was, it was brilliant, mate. I loved yeah. it. I, I love the fact that you've had such an like early exposure to, um, to forward air control. And I, I know obviously it's been around for a long, long time and you know, the guys in the, second tactical air force at the end you know in the second world war and the stuff that happened in vietnam yeah, but like yeah, yeah. from my sort of memories the guys who talk about that generation is almost like the beginning for me you know so yeah um you're talking about the different platforms and everything like that what was your favorite platform that you guys had while you were away in that that theater i i liked i liked watching the a10s but i think everyone does because because of the noise uh, yeah. uh, you know, and the effect, the immediate effect that you see on the ground. And I think, um, I don't know, mate, do you know what? It was weird because we were often co-located with the uh, the artillery, you know, as in like with the foos. Um, and it was weird that you'd sort of, they were very uh, awesome at what they did, but um, 
for me, mate, it, it just used to blow my mind where, where you'd watch your boss sort of work in the artillery, then the aircraft, and then sort of, you know, uh, sort of eat, sleep, repeat. You know, it was, it was great to watch. And I, I liked, um, I definitely liked watching the, the Harriers. In fact, um, I, I do, I, spinning dits, mate. But I remember uh, coming into, uh, we were coming into a town and we'd been in an OP for, um, uh, for the best part of a week. Uh, we'd been dug in watching these tanks and a proper old Russian, you know, like T-54s, mate, uh, dug in. And uh, these Harriers come in, mate, and they, they, they did a job. Uh, and it was it it was phenomenal to watch, you know. It was it it really was. Uh, so for me, mate, I I just liked the like that. And I think with the TACP, we used to beforehand we we went to a lot of the units that were out there. So before the war started, uh, we went to visit a lot of the uh, American units that were based down at Ali Al Salem, which was quite close to the border, and we met the. Uh, the, the American, the, the US Marines the, that had the Hueys and yeah. the, the Cobras and uh, mate, those boys were just, they were awesome you know, they, the way they spoke to you it, it was like, look if we have to crash this aircraft you know, if we have to literally sacrifice this thing to bring in the fires that you need you know, that, that's what we do and a lot of the guys said themselves that you know, we were, we were gravel bellies you know, we were ground pounders way before we went anywhere near rotary aircraft so you know we we understand what you're going through down there and we know you're not calling us in because you think it's you know it's funny uh and you just had a, an overwhelming self-confidence that um you know these guys would would absolutely do you know everything they could um and it opened my eyes mate as an sac as equivalent of a private really to to see that third dimension of of what could be done with with aircraft and uh i used to love just listening on the net to what the boss was talking about to 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 the aircraft what the aircraft was talking about and then seeing how it all was lined up and, and brought on you know it was yeah it's awesome you know, yeah it's a, it's a real skill you guys have got you know i think that the uh that is eye-opening getting to go in your so early in your career to work you know try service and to get you know that exposure to the three-dimensional battlefield i wish we could give that to so many more people so oh, not to yeah. not to stop talking obviously um closer support and and your tap life but let's take a sort no, no, of no, 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 canter no. out of that and you come back off of that operation um how do you you know choose the path that the next path oh, oh mate do you know what it was such an anti-climax you came back and uh, i I was lucky um, I got picked up for promotion. So me and Bill went on the same promotion course, our FT1, which is, you know, it's like juniors, isn't it? And, uh, and in fact, Vinny was our, was one of our instructors, senior, senior instructors. Um, and again, the instructors you get on these courses shapes how you will become uh, a leader, a junior leader. Um, so I owe those, those guys a lot. Um, past, uh, Passed that and then, you know, went back to TACP waiting for, for a posting. And, mate, I, I put in for every posting possible, you know, on your wish list. So I want to go here, I want to go there. I don't want to go there. And funny old thing, the one place I said I didn't want to go, I went to. So I ended up at Honington on the, the joint NBC unit. And, uh, yeah, for me, mate, that was, uh, that was an anticlimax because I was like, look, I don't want to get involved in chemical warfare you know mbc and all that sort of stuff but actually if i'm honest a regret of mine was that i never embraced it mm. I, I kicked and bucked and tried to just get off that unit which wasn't really professional i suppose but um but then that's it was on that unit that um i met an officer uh who uh, we went off to america to do the uh, Defender Challenge. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we had a, man, we had a, a whale of a time. Uh, we won it. We came back as as, as absolute heroes in our own naffy break. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, like, no one else cared. And then um, 
that officer ended up, he was selected to be the platoon commander down uh, when the RAF regiment uh, went off to, to be part of the uh, SF support group down St. Athens. And then I subsequently saw him. I was asking every single person at Honington at Manning, I've heard about this unit being set up. What's happening? Do they need volunteers? No one was, everyone was sitting on the information, which was incredibly frustrating. And then I saw him one night in the gym at Honington, and he said, hey, I'm really surprised that you dunk. You know, I thought, uh, I thought you'd have put in for it. I've not seen your name on the list. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding. I have been, like, scratching, you know, kicking and screaming trying to get on this. And he's like, oh, okay, well, don't worry about it. I'll put your name down. And by pure luck, I ended up down on the, on the platoon when it, when it started up. Well, initially down in Dover, uh, and then subsequently moving to St. Athens. And again, mate, you know, being a section commander on, on a unit where everyone wants to be there, everyone wants to be as good as they can be. It, it was just a commander, a junior commander's dream. You know, it really was. It was, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I loved it. I think that that mindset thing, like you were saying about like the guys on the tapis, they want to be there. They want to, they want to perform. And the guys down obviously in Wales, they, they want to be there. They want to perform and being around that. It's just such a privilege. Um, it is. Obviously, you're going along there in your career. Um, what's sort of, like you said about um, the idea of, you know, that time on NBC and stuff like that. If you could go back and say anything to yourself, you know, as you were taking up that posting, you know, if you would even listen to yourself, because sometimes we might not even listen to ourselves. But if you could tell that yeah. young man anything, what would it be? Do you know what, mate? I was I was given advice uh, early on in my career by a by a, a squadron commander. I was on one squadron when I was getting ready to to move off to 16 Brigade, and as a as a young bloke, when you're living life at like a billion miles an hour, and you know you've got no time for for stuff your men to tell you what they actually know, um, he said, "Listen." you're in real danger of like going through your career too quickly because I, by pure luck, uh, I, I'd gone and uh, done my sniper's course as, uh, as a very, very junior SAC and I never passed the course and uh, it was just me, you know, it was a failure, you know, I failed. Um, and I kind of sort of thought, right, if I'm not passing that, I'm going to go and do something else. And it was like, right, what now? What now? And that's how I sort of entered into everything. And uh, he said to me, look, you're going through things too quick. You need to slow down, you know. And I think he was right. I wish I'd taken my time a little bit. And even on the joint NBC unit where I was like, look, this is not for me. I just wished I just slowed it down a little bit. And... And kind of taking a bit of a breath and and, and maybe learn a little bit more, you know. Um, yeah. Because yeah, subsequently, that. you know, uh, subsequently, mate, there were things like if I'd if I'd learned them on that unit, it would have helped. Uh, but yeah. you know, I, I suppose we uh, learn by mistakes. It's hard to live in the moment, but if you can do it, you know, sometimes you've got to sweep the hangar out. That's the job you've got to do, you know. Yeah. yeah. You suck it up and do a really good job of it. But uh, obviously. You know that now, and hopefully someone listening, you know, that chimes with them and, and it really helps them. But you obviously found your way home uh, in the end and you found yourself on uh, on the group down in Wales. Mm. How does that look? You know, how does that start to build? Because you're there at the beginning. Mate, it was, it was... Do you know what's weird about the military community, which part of me likes, but part of me doesn't, is anything new, people are like, that's going to be shit. <laughs> that that is that I don't know what you're doing volunteering for that. That is going to be crap. And you're like, oh okay. And you know, it wasn't. It was great from the outset. And the more people that did it, the more people that went down there. Obviously, the experience and the stories disseminate, and people go, oh, oh, that is good. And suddenly, there's no end of people queuing up to volunteer to come down to that unit. But it's that that's life, isn't it? But um, I bet you in the desert when 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 the SAS was was forming up, where they're looking for volunteers, 
there was some disgruntled private going, <laughs> nah, it's going to be a load of nonsense, mate. You know, <laughs> I look at it now. Um, but uh, when, I, when I was down there, I was like, look, just, just soak this up. You know, this is, this is, this is great. And uh, we did a few ops down there that were, they were all right. They were okay. But then all of a sudden, uh, it got pretty serious. And, you know, in fact, Finney talked about uh, the, the tours in, in Iraq. And I was out there for, for 07 with, uh, with our platoon. And uh, we were out there supporting one of the squadrons. And, and that, I think that for me opened my eyes, mate, about what a counterinsurgency op is and how important it is to play your part to the best of your ability, but also to be immensely flexible, you know, uh, just, you know, have a plan, but, but roll with it because everything changes and it did on a nightly, daily basis. And you're an asset, you're an asset for a higher power to utilize, you know, you might just be doing a cordon, but in Baghdad, it's not just a cordon, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty full on and it goes wrong quick and it changes quick. Uh, so that was, it was exciting, but, uh, you know, we were reminded all too often, unfortunately, of, of, of the price to be paid, uh, sometimes, you know, it was, we had some, we had some near misses mate, but, but again, you know, it was, it was good. Yeah. The, uh, the interesting thing, and obviously you've referenced Vinny and a couple of other guys, but the interesting thing is how um, compressed that operation was, how tight in and everything operating in, in the, you know, where you were. And then you take a, a leap across into another theater and how spread out things started to become. Um, it's, yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, if you, you know, I'm not trying to spin a, a sort of a dip, and I'm I'm absolutely not trying to to sort of subconsciously make out that we were anything more than a support element. However, when you're in a Humvee uh, as part of a convoy going out to do a, a deliberate operation night after night, and the go no go criteria is you've at least got uh, two Apaches low level, you know, literally. So I, you know, me, I'm I'm not a JTAC. I'm nothing like that, but I can switch my radio, my inviter to their frequency and say, can you help me? I'm going to show you with my laser what the problem is. Can you sort it for me? That is immense. Uh, and then you would have, you know, trickling away. You'd have the you know, AC-130s up. You'd have two Bradleys and two Abrahams at the start and the rear of the convoy. <clears throat> that is, you feel invincible but then you switch over to Afghan and you're in and you're in a soft skin Ford Ranger with a sandbag on the floor in case you hit an ID and you're thinking, what the hell? You know, it, and, and like you said, it was very closed in to then suddenly it's a spread out. It's, it's completely different. Um, and you actually feel, I, I, I felt more exposed than Afghan. You know, I, I really did. Um, I felt the threat was just seemed to be a lot more, and I don't know whether it was paranoia or or what I don't know, but it just always seemed to be you couldn't get aircraft unless you called a tick. Whereas in Iraq, you were tripping over the things. You know, um, if you called a tick, or if you you know, if if the if the JTAC was like, look, we've got we've got ten aircraft in the overhead, and you're thinking, holy moly, like ten aircraft, and you know, I mean, Jordan, you know, I know, I know, I know, you know, Jordan, mate, but, um, you know, the nights you go out and you come in off a job and you say to Jordan, how did it go for you, mate? And he was like, mate, you, you know, if I showed you a visual rep representation of the Raws over that job, you would not believe how many aircraft I was dealing with tonight. And me as, as like, a, well, I was, I was a team commander, but then moved up between the, the, acting platoon sergeant on that tour so it's just noise you know when you hear a one headset what the JTAC's up to you like hey he's got aircraft he's dealing with this that and the other but when you speak to them about actually how many numbers they're dealing with you think okay that's uh, that's pretty impressive stuff but then switch over to Afghan you might get a French phantom 
dropping a flare, you know, and you're like, mate, I need more than that. You know, we, we, we're in the shit here. Like, and, uh, yeah, it was totally different. But. Yeah. So obviously you start off in, in the Ford Rangers and you're, you're covering huge distances in the, in those vehicles. Was it, when did you cycle up onto the, onto the other style of vehicle? Well, it was interesting, mate, that, um, so the tour before we went out, they were all in Ford Rangers, like the, the Brits. And I think, uh, I think someone high up went over there just to have a look around. And they were like, uh, what, where's the, uh, where's the jackals? <laughs> and they're like, what, the what now? And, and they're like, right, hang on a minute. You're not sending blokes out in those here. So they changed it. So we did uh, quite an in-depth uh, PDT on the MV stroke jackal. So when we got out there, mate, we had just, you know, we had good platforms for, for getting out and, and doing doing our job. And, I mean, our, our job was pretty varied. It, you know, we had uh, a sort of platoon company minus of Afghans and then obviously our, our platoon to, to go out. Sometimes uh, we, had, we had two platoons. Uh, certainly in the later stages, halfway through the tour before I got injured, they, uh, they, we, we went out as a, as a multiple of, of two platoons and it was all, all mounted in, in jackals, uh, which, was, which was brilliant. You know, they, used properly, those machines are just amazing, but things go wrong when people get involved and tell you how to employ those vehicles when they don't know what they're talking about and that's, that's when it kind of goes wrong. But I think that is the flavour of all military disasters, isn't it? When, when people get involved at a higher level that don't really know uh, how to employ it. Yeah. What's uh, what's the funniest story? What's the I know obviously you're talking about like spinning dips, <laughs> but like what's the silliest thing you've ever seen out on the ground? The dumbest thing anyone's ever done? Probably me. But I, <laughs> um, so, um, mate, I was I was laughing the other day. I I was like I was listening to one of the the podcasts, and and you were asking like, mate, go on, go and tell me like t- tell me something that has happened. And I was thinking. I wonder what I could get away with saying, you know, before I end up in, in, in the in the Hague, you know. And um, mate, um, it was just before I got got um, it was in fact two weeks I think before I got blown up and then um, in Afghan and uh, if we were out and you know what the Dickens screen out there was like, right? So you've got all these people driving around on uh, Kawazuki's and the 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 sort of watching what you do and you you know you've got the guys telling you look we're being followed someone's going to and and a lot of times nothing will happen but then the very odd time you get ambushed and and stuff so um rightly so you can obviously disperse you know if you're getting dicked you can get rid of the dicker and there was one day mate and I just I'd had enough mate I just the amount of times we're out in the ground and it was it was during Panther's Claw, so the guys were tired, mate. We'd been out in the ground for six weeks solid, and then we rolled into Panther's Claw, and the guys, mate, they were just jaded. The amount of times we've been dicked and shot at, and and all the rest of it, it's just you know. And as a platoon sergeant, where you're like, you're the dad of the platoon, aren't you? You're you try to be the guiding light, and you want to protect the blokes. We're getting followed by this guy on a, on a motorcycle and we're doing a foot patrol. So this guy's trying not to make it look obvious, okay, that he's following us. And I was getting more and more annoyed and I'm like, right, okay, you're, you're, you're one step away from getting, uh, you know, a pen flare fired at you here, mate. But then you're like, right, I can't really do that because if it hits him, you know, there's going to be sort of problems in that. And when we're in Iraq... Uh, because we're doing the cordons and you're expected to engage with people and disperse people and all that, we got given these uh, CS uh, sprays um, from from the from the guys. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, I had it, mate, and I had it whole tour, seven months in Iraq, and I never even thought about using it, right? I was just like, never going to need it, never going to use it. And I remember chucking it in my kit when we were going out to Afghan. I thought, I'll just take it. You never know. So I had it on my kit this day. And I thought, right, I've had enough. So I got the turret. Me and the turret went down. And this guy, we're going down a trail. There's no way you would take this motorbike down a trail unless you're following people for badness, right? 
So I'm like, look, go on, aim sheet, like, get away, go on, cut away, like, and I'm saying to Turf, like, tell him to go away or it's going to end badly. And he's like, this guy's on the bike just revving it. And he's looking at me, staring me down, revving this bike. And I'm like, right, I'm not having it. So I thought, right, I know what to do. And like anyone that's been in the military that's been hit with CS spray in the chamber, it's not good, eh? No. And this stuff come out. And when you sprayed it, it was like a gel. And I remember like going, right, I've had enough. And I just reached for the CS mate and I sprayed it and it hit him right between the eyes. It was a beauty of a shot. And it was a delay of about sort of 10 seconds. And I thought, oh, I've had it that long. It's obviously turned to water or something. So I thought, right, I'm going to give him another one. So I gave him another one. And he straddled across his bike and he's obviously revving it. He puts his hand up, takes his bike, his, takes his hand off, obviously drops the bike, it kicked in. It's obviously a bit spicy for him. <laughs> and he starts he starts screaming. But as he puts his hand up, I'm still thinking, oh, it's not having the desired effect. His hand is like sort of like he's got gaps, you know, as he's got his hand spread across his face. I thought, oh, I'm gonna give him some more. I give him like a third blast. And there was like a like a, a canal next to us. And he obviously thought, right, the answer to this spiciness is water. And he dived in this water, mate. And there's about four Afghans currently in this little canal doing their daily, like, you know, they're, they're going for a, a, a number two in there. And he dives in head first. And he's squawking away, mate. And I just remember his bike lying on the side, revving away like proper high pitch, like, <laughs> like flat out. It's obviously like caught the accelerator. He's in there screaming. And I thought, oh, well, job done. He's not following us. So I catch up with the patrol. The boss is like, hey, what happened? And I go, oh, I just uh, I got, the, got, got, got the guy, just uh, got, got, got rid of him. And he's like, what do you mean you got rid of him? I'm like, oh, no, 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 nothing like that. I just give him a little squirt of CS. He goes, oh, how much did you give him? I'm like, I don't know. And I looked, mate, and uh, the whole thing had gone. The whole, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And uh, this bloke goes, uh, mate, have you ever been hit by one of them? I'm like, nah. He goes, mate, that, that's, that's pretty strong. That's like weapons-grade CS. Like. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. So genuinely, two <laughs> weeks later, when I got blown up, I was like, I bet it's that guy. I bet it was the CS guy that did it. <laughs> I bet it's like... He's followed you ever since. Yeah, I was like, because it was a commando war, I was like, I bet he sat there laughing, going, yeah, this is what you get, Dunk. It's like karma. But oh. um, yeah, he didn't follow us anymore anyway, but... No, it was just there, uh, just following you, no one else. Yeah, just me. Yeah, just your big, just um, your biggest fan. Dude, <laughs> <there> was... <laughs> so obviously, uh, you got blown, you got blown up, and everything. Uh, uh, that is a oh, huge yeah. story in itself. Um, we'll we'll uh, we'll put a pin in that one, maybe for for another time. But obviously, you've come <laughs> yeah. out, um, and you've done some like incredible uh, things since then. And again, I'd love to speak more about you know how that looks, but. From an outsider's perspective now, with hindsight, looking back in, what was the biggest change that you've seen over that full period of time in your service? Um, I, th I think kit and equipment has been one of the biggest things, which is, given, which is a good thing. It's given everyone from the lowest rank uh, to the highest rank more confidence in their ability. Um, but with the leaps in, in sort of kit and equipment that have, that have gone on, uh, I saw a real um, change in fitness, which was one thing that I, I saw as a little bit of a negative. It was kind of like, um, you know, you really had to uh, watch because a lot of guys just, you know, they, I think they kind of thought, well, the kit and equipment does it for me. What do I need to be? So, you know, I, I don't need to be doing this, that and the other. And, um, that that used to wane quite a lot, but then you know the more specialised the unit, the more the, the sort of the better the unit, uh, the better the guys really. But um, but that was one thing. It used to be quite a lot of disparity in people's sort of fitness. Um, but like I say, kit and equipment was 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 it just changed in it overnight. You've got a private soldier or an SAC on the battlefield who can literally with a laser beam on his rifle chop to an apache and bring in ecas which is that's amazing you know yeah. to, to do that or or call in uh you know for a kazivak which is again is brilliant so i think uh empowerment has changed you know we're not 
the 1980s, go and do that, go and stand there, don't ask a question, shut your mouth. Now we're in an environment where people do ask questions, they like to be informed, they like to know what's going on, and that, that's a good thing. You know, I, I think no longer is any infantry job looked at as, you know, you're just a bloke who carries heavy kit from A to B. Now it's like, actually, if you looked at the kit and equipment and the job that people are doing on the ground now, you know, you, you need to be on the ball. You need to know what you're doing and you need to know, you know, what the guys are capable of doing. So I think that's a good thing. It's evolved into a, I think, a specialization now as opposed to just a job that dropouts from school did perceived, you know, that, that, that was a perception, wasn't it, years ago. Um, and that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and obviously, being a boy from the Highlands and stuff like that, you're probably bottle-fed uh, Scotch. But uh, when and when, and when you were corrupted during your time on TACP, I'm sure that you were pushed oh, over. Boy. So, yeah. what's your uh, what's your sort of? Are you a snob when it comes to drinking tea or coffee or anything like that? What would be your recommendations for a good I, uh, a good whiskey? I I love it. I love a brew, mate. I, I love a good uh, I, I love a good coffee in the morning. But I've got to kind of rein it in. Um, on a, and so I'm one or the other, right? So I might have like mainlining really strong coffee in the morning and then I chop to like decaf green tea in the afternoon, which is like, yeah, cue, cue the archers music. You know, it's like, all right, okay. Um, but then if I do open a bottle, mate, yeah, I, I love a whiskey. Um, and I've got to say, mate, I love, love anything. Uh, Macallan, uh, I do like a Macallan. I do like... Uh, but I do like a Glenfiddich as well. Uh, if you go for like an 18, uh, 18 year old Glenfiddich, um, yeah, I've got to say, uh, do you know what, mate? I've started delving, I, I hate to say this, but I've, I'm delving into the Irish whiskies as well. Uh, yeah, I know, but it's it's good good stuff. There's some really good stuff uh, over there too. So I'm, I'm kind of getting, getting stuck into some of that as well. But um, yeah, love it's it. Not, yeah, it's nice to hear. Um, just uh, something a little bit more lighthearted. I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tie this in in a, probably in an unusual way. If you were going back to your TACP days and you were gonna go out on a job, and I gave you a radio, I'll probably give you one of the modern radios and not the, one of the ones that you have to like finger the crap out of to like oh, make it mate. make it function. Yeah. Uh, but what other three items would you be taking to a desert island with you? To so desert island, who? Oh boy, um, that's quite a um, cool. That's a tough one, mate. Um, do you know what, mate? I'd I'd take, I'd definitely take uh, a, a compass. Um, love a silver compass. Um, you can't go wrong. Um, I go for a compass. I go. Um, I definitely go for a map. Um, I'd, I'd have to go for a map. And um, I'd have to go for right, j just because I used to see how much you guys, you guys used to like cling on to these things. Was uh, you know like the the little green Bibles you guys used to have with all your notes and all your little like things. And I used to love, mate. I used to love um, hiding them things. You know, like <laughs> when guys are going triple like J tact or 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 sort of foreign air controllers are getting ready to go, like the aircraft are being lined up, and it's like. Where's my green Bible? Where's my green Bible? I'd like <laughs> just to see what the hell you people put in them. And I think I'd have to be on a desert island for like an extended period of time just to work out what the hell are in those things. Um, guys used to be like squirreling away, putting notes in them. So I'd like to, I'd like to have a read of one of them one day. Um, yeah, your little funny little green Bible things that you had. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll take one of them. Mate, I... I really appreciate you taking the time. If you had one sort of closing thought across the whole community, obviously where everywhere you've operated, um, not just guys who are serving, but guys who are veterans as well, what would that closing thought be? Um, I think for me, one thing that stands out is that I... I don't know whether it's, and I'm not trying to pull the, the sympathy card here, mate. I don't know whether it's because I took a bit of a knock uh, to, to the old brain when I got injured, right? And 
I think as a result of that, it's only when I meet up with people like Pete or, or Vinny or, or the guys that you've actually worked with that you remember a lot of the dits and the stories and the experiences that you went through. Sitting in my house trying to homeschool my little 10-year-old right now, I, I don't really feel I was part of anything. So I think keep the airways open, keep in touch, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've served with people for, for, for like literally a few months on an op or whether you worked on the squadron or wherever for, for years on end. It doesn't matter. Just, I think, keep in touch with, with everyone as best you can um, because that's what keeps the memories alive. And ultimately, mate, we're all going to be old men, you know, one day. And it's good to know that you're a part of something one time and, you know, it's just nice to know when I speak to some guys that I wasn't a complete bag of bollocks my whole career, you know. Um, so it's nice to, to keep the memories alive. And ultimately, that's all we've got. You know, our, our, our time in the service, you know, I, I literally did 14 years, which is not a long time. Um, I don't really feel that I changed the world, but it's nice to know that, you know, we were all part of something one time and, uh, yeah, I, I just think keep keep stuff like this that you're doing, mate, is is very important. You know, uh, the amount I relate to listening to to when Vinny or Pete or Cider or any of these guys when they talk, I think, oh my god, yeah, bloody hell, and and that's what gives me a warm fuzzy feeling inside me, thinking, bloody hell, I wasn't a complete useless bloke all my life, you know, um, and I think that's the the overriding message. I think, mate, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I think I, that's a good I, thing. We're definitely stronger together. So I would oh, say sure. that I know I've, I kind of left the story where you'd uh, hit an IED um, <laughs> and I've put a pin I in it. I found it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're the man who found it. So I would, uh, I'd appreciate it at some point if we could like pull the pin out of that story and maybe talk a little bit more about what you did from, the mo- from that moment on if you, you'd come back on. Hey, if... if um... You know, if if you want me to, and if uh, you know, if there's a, if if guys want me to do it, you know, I, uh, genuinely, mate, I I don't want to bore people to bloody tears with this stuff. You know, um, if people want me to come and do it, mate, oh, mate, my my time is yours, mate. Of course, it is. It's a it's a privilege to to have a bit of your time, mate. Honestly, yeah. sweet, yeah, no thank problem. You so, thank you for taking the time, mate. Hey, mate, it's a, a privilege. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community, and we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.